0: Another world, another time, in the age of wonder.
1: You are listening to The Gathering Songs, The Dark Crystal Discussions.
0: The story runs deeper
2: than you know, and you are part of it. And
0: what
1: are those funny marks?
2: This is all writing.
1: What's writing?
2: Words that stay. When single shines the triple sun. Of your thunder, Sunday,
0: and Done shall be behold home. the two made one.
1: And here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello, and welcome to the Gathering Songs. This is your Dark Crystal discussion podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Philip Mitchell. Just want to say thank you so much for tuning in as we continue discussing about Tides of the Dark Crystal. So, if, you, if you're if you new to the show, we are currently discussing about J.M. Lee's uh, third book in the Dark Crystal Young Adult Novel Series called Tides of the Dark Crystal. So, of course, the first two books were Shadows of the Dark Crystal and Song of the Dark Crystal, And this is the third book as we continue discussing about this book, which is somehow going to tie into um, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, so which is all really exciting. Just so excited with the show and and still anticipating for that. So, of course, with me to break it all down, um, I definitely have a couple of guests to help me out. So we've got um, Nancy Gray. Nancy, thank you for being on the show.
0: Thanks for having me back.
1: And my next guest is uh, Peter M. Peter, thank you so much. As always,
3: thanks for having me here.
1: And last but not least, uh, we've got Dom Nardi. So, Dom, thank you for being on the show. Pleasure's all mine. You know, we, we just sort of... It's, things are really getting exciting. Yeah, with Dark Crystal, all things Dark Crystal. But I think, yeah, we'll, we'll just get things started. So, today, we're just going to discuss from Chapter 18 to 22, as we'll recap the book... And, um, yeah, discuss about what happens within the story. So, yeah, I guess we are up to, uh, chapter 18. And, uh, this is a point where sort of all the characters, they're sort of inside sort of the valley as there's a big storm that's sort of happening They're They're just with the, uh, the Dowson galfling, um, uh, though the Dowsons are sort of, yeah, you know, <laughs> sort of don't believe in, I think in the dangers that was to come, which is, you know, really interesting. I think, um, but they were actually all led inside a cave, uh, which Paris sort of, mm, kind of, you know, more or less sort of, you know, hold them hostage a little bit. But, <laughs> and and what was interesting is, you know, they, they encounter, um, they see there's illustrations on a wall, like an image of the mystic and lightning and storms. And I think a tree, there's one in the illustrations. So, it was kind of interesting to sort of see, uh, just, I guess, the the uh, mythology that's being that you know, that's been part of the stories. Um, it I guess it reminds me. I guess stories like, uh, that you see on walls. I guess say like for example, with the um, for, well for me, I guess you know in Australia with the indigenous, uh, the aborigines. You know that they write stories. You know on rocks and um, but also you know around the world. You know yeah. So I mean that that was pretty cool to sort of get, I guess getting that bit of history. I think as Paris explained that, you know, there was a tree once that protected the dows and the wellspring from the storm uh, or something like that. Yeah, that this tree was, you know, a big, massive tree. It was so tall that it could be seen from every corner of the desert guiding the dows and to the oasis. But then many trying to go, it just began to dwindle. The lake, which once filled the entire valley, shrank. Paris mentioned when he was a child that the tree was just a dried up old trunk. And he remembered the day it fell. Uh, all it took was a gust of summer wind. And, yeah, I mean, Parasis just sort of, you know, really believes that the, the root of the tree is actually still alive. Yeah. But I guess, you know, it was sort of hard with, um, with him because, you know, he really believed about the tree alive. I think he told people, you know, no one didn't believe him. So, sort of, you know, they had to let it go. That's part of the past. And I guess, you know, that that was sort of like the truth of that you find out about why he actually sort of left the Dowson tribe because I think, he you know, he wanted to do something about trying to uh, bring this tree back to life. Um, and so that's why he sort of left the clan and, you know, uh, figuring out a solution to the problem. And then once he also saw those pink petals and saw um, the main heroes, that sort of thing, Um, That's you know, how he was able to recognize them and um, I think that's why yeah, he tried to take action about that.
2: So this kind of reminds me of a uh, something I really liked about the original Dark Crystal movie and um, especially drawn out in the novelization of the of the movie and I'm forgetting who wrote that novelization, which is basically that um, while the mystics are the quote-unquote good guys and we're never we're never given to believe that they have any anything but the best of motives. They're also very passive characters. They don't, you know, they don't actively go out and fight for good. Um, you know, and and Jen in the book in the novelization even uh, starts wondering about that and wonders why the mystics never told him any of this stuff before, like, you know, before he had to go on his mission. Like, you know, why not train him? And it just it so this this dynamic with Paris and uh, the Dowsons, It just it reminds me a bit of that, and it uh, that 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 it captures that that dichotomy that and that complexity where you know good doesn't always do the right thing. Well,
0: one of the things about Paris that bothered me was him like you know forcing them into the cave at knife point, and the it I it felt it's weird though because. It, I can. I kind of thought I I knew where he was coming from because I thought that he was a certain way, the way he was portrayed in the previous chapters. But later on, I it even says in this chapter that he maybe didn't want to do it that way in the first place. And I was sitting here thinking to myself, why did he do it that way in the first place? <laughs> Is it maybe to show a dichotomy between that you know people who have good intentions don't always do good things or. I don't know. I just didn't get that because I was like, if he didn't want to do it that way, all he really had to do was, you know, be a little bit nicer to them and tell them what was going on in the first place.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Instead of being, I don't know, he just seemed like very early on, he just seemed really suspicious. You just sort of don't know like what you were going to get out of him. But yeah, I guess it is sort of weird. It's like, you know, could have t- told him yeah, a little bit early, just the, the plan or, you know, why why he's seeking them out and, Like, I think they probably might have, you know, like hearing him out, they probably would have joined up with him, you know, without a doubt. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I can guess is maybe he thinks because the other Dowson are so passive about things that maybe they would be too. But he's seen the pedals. So he ought to know from seeing that what all they've done before that they're not that way. But, you know, maybe, maybe that was it. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Because I'm just curious. Because it's like he went total transformation from being this thief and untrustworthy to suddenly, you know, a lot more of a likable character.
3: Uh, I just, again, it's the scoundrel. I, I said last time, you know, the scoundrel character is the, oh, well, he's, you know, kind of edgy and rebel, but he's really a good guy at heart. And there we go there's there's him being a good guy so it's once you switch over once you flip into the scoundrel as a good guy you can't really go back so he loses a lot of that uh edge as a character mm-hmm. you can't go back to oh where'd my wallet go
2: there's a line that i really like in in the book and i i'm reading a kindle version so i'm sorry i'm not going to get the page number for you um but it's in it's near the beginning of chapter 18 um, and it's after Paris is talking about the the, the the lake drying up and blah blah blah. And then um, then it says for the first time, actually page so page one eighty eight. For the first time, Emery felt like he was seeing the real Paris under all this not in fevery. And you know, it's 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 getting this notion of like getting beyond the, the facade and seeing the true self, which you know, I think is what we were saying. But like, I think that the. the The book is kind of explicitly uh, pointing us towards the fact that much of what we had seen from Paris before was was a bit of an act, you know, defensive measures that he was putting up against people who he didn't didn't trust. And, you know, we know our heroes, you know, we know Amory and everyone and we trust them. But, you know, Paris didn't.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was just a very, um, yeah, just very suspicious character. To stuff and yeah, sort of, yeah, interesting about sort of the the change that he sort of makes within this within this chapter. Yeah, I mean, like you know, he continue mentioning about that. Yeah, that he that he left to seek the old Mordress help, and then yeah, again, recognize him at Serenar, and of course, you know, after when he you know told him the story, he actually gives the flute back to Kylan and, and d- demands he'd be able to, to sort of revive the Spring tree with the Furka and Naya and to use her um healing abilities with the Dying Tree. So, yeah, sort of like, you know, these sort of... I mean, especially with the flute, I know Kylan thought, you know, would never get it back, so it ends up getting it back. So so that was kind of interesting. Well, again, you know, why he needed to hold on to the Furka, you know, to take the Furka off them in the first place yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But... That's
0: that's I suppose, like... Again... Just had to say something because if they were, if they were more vindictive characters after him stealing from them or you know conning them into giving up their prized possessions, after he gave the furca back, they really could have just turned their back on him. But you know they they were going to heal the tree anyway if he had told them. But it's one of those things. It's like, oh, well, good thing that that's part. You know what they're there to do in the first place—to unite the Dowson.
1: And so I guess you know as we continue on, this is when they do attempt to do to uh, to heal this tree. So you have Kylan and Onika inside the cave. I think they came up with the idea of for Kylan to play the flute inside the cave because of the song that can I guess make reverberations through the water. Same, I think it was described as waiting for the water to be clear with the minerals. Um, they'll form crystals around the underground rivers, uh, which should be able to resonate the song through the cave to the dying tree from a distance. So while that's happening, then, of course, we've got uh, Paris, Nea, Amri, and Tavra. Tavra. They go outside to the Well Springs to work out where the tree is underwater. I was uh, I was actually surprised to see, t- you know, t- Tavra sort of getting into the action because I'm just like, because she's a spider, and I'm like, I-, I don't know how she would go like in, in the water, which, uh, yeah, like I was really surprised yeah about that. I was like, oh, I don't know, like, is she going to make it out <laughs> all right? But yeah. And of course, you know, before they were going, go into the water that they'd come across Ere- Eremon, um, who basically says, you know, don't do this and still, yeah, believes that the tree is dead and that, you know, there's nothing that they can do. But Paris, you know, you know tells him, you know, I-, I believe that the tree can be saved and and so, you know, they all sort of pretty much jump in, into the lake. And yeah, I mean, this was another cool thing, I guess, again, with dream fasting that w- when they went in the water, especially with um, Tavra and Amri, they can use dream fasting to to communicate to each other. So I think, which I made notes here, you know, so they don't talk underwater, obviously. So that, yeah, I just thought that was a sort of an, an interesting, another interesting way of dream fasting. You just seemed to get a lot
3: of mileage out of it, you know, before it was just... You know, in the, the movie itself, Jen and Kira touched hands and shared some memories and then we're good. And now we've got all these different facets to dream fasting, which I'm really enjoying reading about.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just really interesting. Again, you know, I just thinking about, again, with Age of Resistance, just all the different ways they're going to dream fast within the show. And hopefully it's just not going to be, you know, the same old sort of sharing memories. Um, it's, it's very very cool to see, just seeing it being explored so much more with these books which has been really, really cool. And again, this is because of the getting to the tree is pretty far deep in the water. So, Nea is able to sort of bring life to Amri's lungs for him to keep his breath on for longer underwater. I think this is through, I think her, I think it was through her wings or, oh no, it was through, because I think um the, the Drenchen, I think they have gills because they are very, you know, they are swamp-like gelflings. They live in the swamp of Sog. Sort of, I think Naya is sort of able to sort of last or hold their breaths a lot longer in the water, that sort of thing. So, I mean, that, that was kind of cool just um, to see that. And um, yeah, and, uh, yeah again, you know, they eventually find the tree. Amory needed to sort of push things. I think he had to push him out of the way. And this is a point where Naya communes with the tree and putting her hands on the, the root. And, um, and basically, yeah, in the end, like they, you know, the tree did speak. Speak back to Naya, and it said that it needed to speak to a dowson. So this is you know when they're sort of realizing that they had to get either Paris or Aramon to come down underwater to communicate to the tree, or else the storm will kill kill them all. So yeah, like this chapter, like it was sort of yeah just starting to get a bit dire for the things that were uh, possibly to come. Yeah, and so we we're up to chapter nineteen, and the two go inside the cave. And, and many others, as the brothers sort of chant through the cave with um, Kylan playing the Furka. I think once the storm got um, starting to get worse, I think many Dowsons sort of were a bit more aware, you know, of the bad things that were sort of happening with the storm. So they all sort of come inside the cave, singing the song of, of life together. Because, yeah, I think as they, they heard that they needed the Dowsons, um, I think, you know, to get them to sing, to chant.
0: I liked The way he used the uh, storm and the horn to summon them there. Actually, the wind was the thing blowing the horn so they could uh, figure out where to go. I thought that was pretty cool because that's the way that it would be loud enough to get them all out of their, you know, kind of dreamlike state.
1: Because that was the thing. Because I think I was just trying to remember because I know um, Naya said, because I think she thought that you know, to that they needed um uh Paris or or Aramon to sort of go down in the water. I think in the end they just sort of needed all their voices of the Dowson clan to sort of to start singing and chanting and and at the same time Naya went back underwater and sort of was able to heal the tree with Valaya. It was sort of a combination of those two things in the end that, that it really all healed up. And then then the storm was was gone and Yeah, it's sort of a, a quick <laughs> fixer I thought there would be, you know, I mean, I guess there was a lot of danger. Yeah, no, it was just interesting. Um, you know, this big tree, sort of. Yeah, it was all good, and um, and then we find out. I think Mordra, Seethi, uh, she arrives in a skimmer, just sort of just in time, just when the storm was over. But then we were, well, we did think it was Mordra, um, Seethi, but she wasn't there at all. Um, I think she, they found out that she was taken to Hurrah on the wind sifter versus her, her skimmer. And this is sort of when they sort of found the news, received a scroll, I think, from Eremon or uh, Tutu Eremon, I, I believe. And um, this is sort of a message from Princess uh, Celadon, who is the daughter of the Ormodra. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we got sort of sort of an interesting sort of twist that the Ormodra uh, may end. Is uh, dead, um, as it proclaimed in the scroll. So I remember, like at the time, I was reading, <laughs> reading that chapter, reading that part, I was like, "Oh, okay, that that really changes things up in the story." Yeah,
0: yeah, that's pretty dark too. That's a it's twist that she was dead. Because I mean, it, it's not necessarily unexpected, but at the same time, it's like, it well, yeah, it wasn't unexpected because the fact I thought that if the Skexies I figured that even if she said that, the Skeksis would have tried to manipulate her rather than just killing her outright. So that kind of surprised me.
3: Yeah, it and shows so- the seriousness of what they're willing to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, like, I mean, everyone's all, you know, sort of presuming that about, which I think we'll go into about, you know, how how she died. I think we we'll definitely find out later on in the... Uh, yeah, I think it was it was as a shock because, yeah, she was what, like... I mean, the main All Mordra Thrá, and for her to sort of, um, to die just, you know, ooh, unexpectedly, like, I mean, for me, I was just sort of like, oh, okay. Cause the whole sort of aim of the whole story was leading up to, for all our heroes to reach Harar and tell, to tell actually her of all people about what has happened. So yeah, it was just such an interesting dire- direction. And I think I remember I, I did chat to Joe about with the All Mordra with me and he's, <laughs> I mean, he's sort of described as, um, I guess with young adult novels as well, whether it's a bit of a trope, I guess with you know having the old you know the you know a leader or who, and a, you know, a role model sort of character you know die in, in the stories, and which gives sort of you know the main characters sort of I guess a reason that they need to step up, really take charge of all that. So yeah, yeah. So it was just a, it was just a really interesting thing, that's for sure. So of course. In chapter twenty, um, everyone is sort of saddened about the news that they don't believe that the fire was was ever lit at Hurrah. Sort of, yeah, pretty much doubted there, yeah, pretty much that whole thing. So it of got scrapped. But then, yeah, I mean, now they they just sort of again, like I mean, like I said about you know them trying to you know step up, and now they're just like, well, the best course of action is just to let, let's just go straight to the capital, no more detours, as they had a couple of times in. In with uh with Song of the Dark Crystal, I guess you know going to olgres and and um, but I mean I guess they weren't details because they they were pretty important to the story. Without those detours, yeah.
0: <laughs> when they see the uh, prophecy on the walls, it doesn't mention when you know they're having the vision it doesn't mention the um the vapra which i thought was actually pretty interesting too cuz it makes it seem yeah, almost so, hopeless yeah, so, at that point yeah it was
1: a bit of a uh, but about like okay we we've found these places you know, being lit we thought the fire was you know, on lit behalf with of the, the vapra
0: but apparently so basically it yeah i mean know, not.
1: Up, they they leave the beach i think Eremon said that he'll spread the word to to Mordra Sethi and the Xerix clans within the clans about, you know, what has happened. Um, now that the tree is reborn, and I think you sort of said that that we will heed the signal of the flames. But again, you know, we saw this point where it's like, Naya doesn't know for sure what the signal is to be exact. And, and I think, that you know, this is this chapter, we sort of get to know a little bit about uh, Bria, who's one of the three characters uh, they'll be leading in the dark crystal age of resistance. Um, I think with Mayan gone, we're just now presuming that princess Celadonna will eventually be the All Mordra and, um, Bria. So yeah, so Celadonna is Mayan's uh, daughter and Bria is the younger daughter of, uh, the All Mordra. So it's interesting that, yeah, at this point in the story, I guess, you know, Bria will be known as princess Bria. And we find out that just mentioned that Bria is a scholar. So, that's kind of uh, very interesting to sort of know just a little bit about her character. Um, that, that she likes to, to read or, or to study, um, to read up all, all things. So, it'll just be interesting if that sort of comes into the play uh, with the show, yeah. And so, uh, as they travel forth and they, they, they arrive as far as the skimmer can take them, and, um, yeah, I mean, it pretty much takes him a day's trek to reach hurrah. so.
0: I like, um, a lot of the talking in this chapter. Like, uh, imagining Tavra, if Tavra could have been the Almadra in, uh, Celadon's place. And, um... Her being, you can just feel how much regret she's got that she's trapped in that body and that she can't do anything about it. And, um, I like the fact that it actually points out, yeah, that, of course, um, yeah, I love Emery that little, yeah,
1: that little mention there, definitely, uh, between, has a crush between on those her two her. characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is very because devastating of, for Tabra because, uh, I mean, of course, Tabra's daughters, you know, sort of hear that her mother died and that, yeah, I mean, you know, so everyone's just sort of saying, yeah, really, Tavra should be the old Mordia. And I know it was, I think it was something like tradition. I think she's the middle child of the family. So even though she said, said well, Celadonna would take over regardless because she's the oldest. But yeah, I think the experiences that Tavra has had within the story, then yeah, definitely like, it would be cool for her to be able to step up and, you know, it does make me wish, you know, whether whether somehow in the story she's able to sort of be able to return as a, as a gulfling or, you know, as a body of a different gulfling or something like that. If we sort of get her journey, being able to st- sort of step up, that sort of thing, instead of sort of being stuck as a, as a spider for the story. And yeah, I mean, it, I think I was you know, this is sort of the point, point in the story where, like, I mean, I was sort of surprised how quick the journey was to Hurrah, I guess, because, you know, it's taken us, you know, quite a few books to, to reach there. And and now that they're, I guess, are much closer, uh, that it took them pretty much a day's trek to reach Hurrah. And, yeah, they, they pretty much entered the capital. And, and um, I think that, you know, walking down and, and actually encountered the two Skeksis,
0: Can I interject one more thing about the previous chapter? Um, The fact that um, it does do another facet of dream fasting. We were talking about how, you know, they're talking in each other's minds and they've dream fasted together. And from the movie, you get the feel it's this very intimate thing. And it kind of comes back to that on page 215, where, you know, Paris is asking Amory if they'd dream fasted together. And it goes back to it being like, like it's another type of dream fasting when somebody um, actually does become someone's girlfriend or boyfriend. It's like they see every aspect of that person's mind. So even though he's dream fasted with Naya, it's been more like to just the the things that are most important to what they're doing and not anything, you know very, very personal. Even in the previous book when she was when she was dream fasting with Kylan, when there was a personal memory that came up, it was usually almost like an accident. So it seems that that's something that brings a whole nother aspect to dream fasting because it is like you're living, you're seeing through the, each other's eyes and if you see each other's lives through each other's eyes, I would imagine it would be a pretty intimate experience instead of just, you know, just the significant points so i thought that was pretty interesting too because that's what the way i got it from the movie was like it was this very um this very personal thing and you know a lot of times in the book it doesn't seem that way it's just kind of like here this will be quicker if i just show you then tell you so i thought that that'd be good to talk about since we were talking about dream fasting
2: oh say this i bet the uh the showrunners are really excited about this because this is a great way to do exp- exposition on, on a TV show. You know, just get yeah, on I mean, that, that's one of the exciting things, yeah, have, like, like, you know, a visual images, images or, or you know, uh, a know, just accompanying different it. ways of drawing um, fast so how, a, they can be able to use it in, in a visual form, way form really well.
1: um, with, with, with the exposition. So it's not just your standard, you know, just talking back and forth or, you know, your typical, you know, one, one character explaining everything that get them to explain but also see the visuals and I, I guess you know we sort of see that in tropes i guess with um especially when you know when characters trying to come up with the plan and then you actually see shots of them doing the plan while they're talking about the plan i mean that, that you know an aspect of you know whether you try and use visuals to sort of um explain sort of the exposition but yeah i mean in this dream fasting way it's, it's going to be really interesting so it's like yeah that's one part i'm sort of Very much looking forward to. So, yeah, I mean, towards the end of chapter 22, like we find out that um, with these two Skeksis, and and they actually mentioned that I think, you know, that they killed Mayan. And they sort of said, you know, that we should kill Celadonna as well and just pretty much kill, pretty much, yeah, kill the the main sort of all, you know, Mordra leaders with Celadonna and potentially Bria as well. They just to make them much weaker, I guess.
0: Well, it's said that they they didn't actually kill Celadon. Oh, whether that was more of representative or they, they were of throwing the around the idea.
1: Skeksis as well. they had
0: whole, killed um, um, the Almadra.
1: Yeah, because they they, they but, hear some uh, they, sound. They say that is like Did you hear something? And no, you're. And Skexox is like probably just some stupid vapor childling. Ignore it. Fin- finishing on focusing our task and getting out of this stinking silverling nest. This is a waste of time. I say we kill the princess as we killed her mother. So, I guess, I mean, I guess they are sort of saying we, so it's, I don't know whether it's like the both of them together did the task or whether it was sort of, they were just talking about we as in the Skeksis in in general.
0: I think that they mean that both of them did the task and they're debating about going over and killing, um, killing the eldest uh, daughter too. But so, they haven't. I don't think yeah, they have so murder her of hear yet, about that and, which um, is still kind of up in the and air. And yeah. then they
1: actually find, uh, At, I think, uh, Tay the end of the
0: chapter,
1: uh, rocked up as well. Whether or to not her, you know, she's going to still be alive the next day. Tay, Tay thought, um, you know, was going to kill the spider with Tavra. But quickly the hero says, so, you know, no, 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 put it, put the knife down, you know, it's all right. And then we got the, yeah, sort of the reveal, uh, I guess a reunion of sorts between Tay and, um, Tavra. So that was, um, really interesting. Yeah. Cause I mean, throughout the story, we, uh, I think Tavra never really revealed to Tay who she was or, you know, that Tavra was there The sort of the whole time in, in Tay's presence early on in, in the story. So so yeah, they had a nice little moment. So they sort of, you know, the, the chapter sort of ends from there, and then, uh, they go inside um Onika's ship, uh, which we did find out that, uh, Tay traveled on, uh, in that boat with Air Three, and I think it's pretty much they more or less sort of confirmed that the Mordra has died and and that Saladona will take place as the new Mordra. Uh, I think she declared the old Mordra sort of a, as a traitor and that Vapra will stand her with, with the Skeksis. And, and at this point, they're sort of talking about all the different... Because all the Mordras were trying to... Were going to attend what seemed to be like a sort of a ceremony of sorts about with uh, Saladonna sort of taking over as the old Mordra. So, so we got a couple of characters that you know that didn't bless, like I think Mordra, uh, Layseed and and Mordra Farah from Sona in the Wood. Uh, was it was Sethi and Mira, Blessed Saldana. Things are sort of getting a bit interesting as they try to, um, I guess within the story, that they wanted to, uh, they attempt to do another like far dreaming just to see what, if they could get any answers or um trying to get the call from from Thrav like what to do next. Because I think they're, you know, with this big, big, big change in the story, yeah.
0: It's very uh, sinister in this chapter what the Skeksis are doing and very smart because by making her basically pledge loyalty to to the Skeksis, not only do they get to see who's against them and decide how they're going to deal with that, but the Vapra are kind of forced to be, you know, are forced to side with them as well. And the thing about that is A lot of the other clans, they didn't care as much about, but the Vapra, I think, are are the ones that they really, really want to uh, get under their thumb. And by killing the um, Almadra, they're able to do that. Now, this didn't go in the direction I expected it to, (laughs) because I was sitting here thinking to myself, even though this would be a very underhanded tactic, Technically, if they wanted to um, Celadon to to turn against the Skeksis, Tavra could do it. Because she could technically, even though she had only done it by accident before, she could take control of her sister and have her say that she's not siding with the Skeksis. But that would be... I don't know if the Gelfling are sinister enough to do that or it seems like, I mean, I could see that be a moral conundrum because that's not very ethical, but at the same time, I could see it happening.
2: So have you all seen Game of Thrones?
0: Uh, No. I don't don't don't, don't don't
2: know how. Yeah, I won't spoil it, but there's something for those of you who have seen it, there's something in season six that happens to a certain character done by another character. Both of whom we think of as good guys. That I think is kind of interesting and related to this discussion we're having. And once anything else,
0: the thing is, the Gelfling. How to put it? They're they're not humans, so it's it's like how close to human are they, and how how far would Tavra go to fix this situation type thing? Because Tavra seems like the one who would actually. If any of them in the group would take that kind of action, it seems like Tavril would. Not because she's bad, but because she's very decisive about what has to be done in most situations. Of course, the problem is she's also feeling powerless at this point. Throughout the chapters, she's taken this turn where she's just feeling completely powerless in the form she's in. And... Um, maybe she doesn't think she can otherwise maybe she would have uh suggested that i just thought that that might have been the direction it's going but by um yeah yeah
1: exactly end, yeah. I actually read a little um but yeah yet, I, I think it's just, it's just a really like, a interesting oh, sort of so state of moment between all different. the different clans and stuff and it's not like <laughs> probably you know, something we're a little not like getting like oh we're gonna <laughs> side up and you know, go against the skixies, that sort of thing so it's like it, I just yeah, I just find that really interesting that both sides, you know, there's some sides that sort of, you know, that bless Saladona and some that didn't. Yeah, I just, I, I just find that really interesting that you know, it still, it will take them time. Um, eventually, as we all know that with the, with the Gelfling being able to sort of rise up and go against the Skexies.
0: I was uh, disturbed they didn't bury the body. So it begs the question, was the Almadra's body just there while all of this was going on? As an example. (laughs) I mean, I know that that, they they don't, they mentioned that they don't bury it, which is not the way of their people to just leave it. And I'm like, eek, you know, I was like, so that the Skeksis not only killed her, but wouldn't allow them to bury the body. So that in and of itself is, you know... Did anyone else get, like, imagery, like, um, almost like uh, what uh, the Nazis did when they first started leaving bodies outside to rot when they were making an example of someone... I mean, the Skeksis have always been bad, but they are just downright sinister in this book.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to I really see just how far it's the Skexis are the gates. Like, with age one resist, step just, from how that, much because, of a this is threat and not, all mm-hmm. sort of thing is meant I mean, to be really
3: gross. I guess for in folks. the
1: movie, you know, we only like really, the extreme was them, you know, draining a podling and ripping each other's clothes in that trial by stone thing that's pretty disturbing. So it's going to be really interesting to see like what other ways they, um, they really, yeah, change, change things up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's a sort of, uh, yeah. Big theme. About, well, we know, yeah, with skeptics, we know the you know, just whole, just the, whole, the whole premise the of the movie is that the, the yeah.
2: Skeksis committed
1: genocide. So, Yeah.
4: Know.
0: So that imagery does make sense. It's just very, very dark.
2: Yeah. yeah. Which is appropriate. I mean, I think Henson, the, the Henson properties have tended to be a bit darker than Disney. You know, even though Muppets are owned by Disney now, like they've always been a bit more, I don't want to say mature because that sounds pejorative, but, um, you know, less willing to hide some of the darker aspects of life from kids and you know if you look at yeah i actually remember like, i think just thinking about that i think frank i think there was some interview or some quote so, that he said about yeah this seems like it's school, the, right? the whole
1: sort of story of the dark christmas you know, kind and going of writing that tradition. to that grimm's um fairy tales you know just the idea of just you know telling stories to to scare children sort of thing but to make them think i guess a lot more of things in life and um uh with that yeah so so, I mean, I guess, you know, at the end of Chapter 21, with uh, the far-dreaming, that sort of didn't work out. And as they attempted their far-dreaming, but Thra didn't um, answer the call. And I think that is sort of, you know, they all sort of fall asleep. Oh, they just go to sleep, I think, just to rest. And then, of course, Amri uh, wakes up and, and hears a loud sound. And he tries to wake up the gel- other um, to know Val. He decides to sort of go out and sort of, trying to use some rope to try and catch whatever it is. But he he fell overboard and he got taken into the deep water as he was trying to catch whatever it was. So, yeah, and I think, you know, as we can, we'll we'll talk about in Chapter 22, uh, we find out that this uh, creature is a mystic, that the creature is able to, that mystic is able to talk to Amri. So, yeah, I mean, we we find out that it is, yeah, you know, a mystic underwater and it's Ursan um the mystic and again this is sort of interesting that um as we heard i think early in the story about that he's uh the character or she i think actually is the one that lights the lanterns and and was sort of um the water spirit in the the story so based on i think with the dowson tribe inside the cave i think there was an illustration of ursan and we sort of got um get translations of uh, these words sort of appeared early on in, in the story I think uh, de- tia, which means fire diri uh means air kita, kita means water and aru garu uh, means earth so we sort of got a little bit of that and basically yeah I mean Urson tells him that tells Amreed that he, he'll find a way to save the vapor it was sort of like a very um yeah, it was sort of a, a, a brief sort of meeting between Ursan and Amri. But I was just trying to think about because they're in the water, I think Ursan must have been able to talk to talk to him through I think I don't know whether he talked to to him through like dream fasting. Sort of similar to what with Tavra and um and Amri were able to. So yeah, so it was just sort of getting to the point where um you know, eventually the sort of after their meeting, um, he actually, uh, Amri got rescued by Naya. Yeah. He tells him, you know, what happened and you know how he encountered us. And yeah, it was sort of, I mean, he sort of all assumed that was sort of, sort of sort of something that he imagined. There was like a bit of a hallucination, a very surreal, I guess, kind of moment. And that's when he, you know, decides to sort of, you know, let's head back to the, to the capital, um, with him and Naya. Uh, I think he was, um, you know he's using his e- his ears to hear the song of the crystal, hear it all the way up to the cliffs, uh, to the glowing white light the the shone uh, down from below, which sort of became a I think like a representative of um sort of these visions that he had in his dream f- in in his dream space um early on in the story about the white glowing light, and then um yeah pretty much in the end like he sort of needed um Kylan and Tavra to come with him as well to sort of head the trees of the um the waystar grove um i guess with all the visions sort of realized that that had something to do with what he needed to do to save the vapor i
0: like the way they uh, tie it together and make him useful in his own way you know because that was the whole thing he was struggling with at the beginning that he felt like everybody had a talent but he didn't know what his talent actually was and now he's more confident using the skills that he knows to actually contribute to uh, what they need to do and i could think that kind of was um what yeah, the like O son sort of yeah, just giving do him a boost I'm uh, that Am- specifically you're the one who's needs to continue going with, help with the this. story, I
1: think. Like And giving I think that him was a little more confidence. That he, you know, that the um, the mystic was saying I'm speaking to who I should be speaking to the Shadowling who brought a song from Deep Caves to an Oasis like said yeah, needed that needed that boost essentially to sort of um, step up much more uh, within the story. And then, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the thing where, yeah, he sort of says that, um, says to Nail uh, that we have to get Tavarai Kylan to the trees of the Waiso Grove and, he, and that Amory now knows how to send a message to the Vapor of Hurrah. So, yeah, I mean, this is sort of, yeah, the point of the story where I think he's worked out what he needs to do. And I guess it, as we'll find out next time with our discussion on Tides of the, of the Dark Crystal that things will definitely um, pick up within the story. All right. And um, yeah, I think they'll probably wrap up for this episode of The Gathering Songs. And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. And I guess, you know, before we go, I just want to say, Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. And how I can um, listeners find out about about your work?
0: Oh, no problem. I'm glad to be back. Like I said, um, well, if you want to, uh, learn more about me, I'm writer Nancy Gray at Facebook on Facebook and, um, I have a blog that's nancygray.blogspot.com and I have a website that's nancygray.net. I like to write, um, a lot of different types of, uh, books, but, Right now, uh, And Peter, thank you so much for being on the show. um, How can listeners uh, find out about your work? Uh, If you're interested in that sort of thing, please check them out. Thank you.
1: Excellent. And of course, uh, Dom, Um, thank you so much for being on the show. And how can uh, people find out? Find you out on the internet. Double
3: (laughs) I, double M, saga, S A G A dot com.
2: Thank you. Um, so I'm on Twitter at Nardy Views. Um, I also have a blog uh, Nardy that goes by Nardy Views, where I sometimes rant or Yeah, it's always awesome chatting about Dark Crystal. Also and I know I think next about Dune, the next episode
1: will definitely be the final discussion there on Tides the Dark Crystal as we and, get uh, through thanks for chapters China, it was fun. 23 to 26. And, of course, you know, there's going to be plenty more after that with uh, Flames of the Dark Crystal Which, I mean, at this point in the moment, we still don't know much of, you know, the the descriptions or anything. I think we just got the front cover, um, which looks pretty, pretty fantastic. Um, Definitely one of my favorites, like, out of all the covers of the four books. So, yeah, it's just very exciting as things are sort of eventually leading up to the Age of Resistance. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode of The Gathering Songs.
0: You've already taken too
1: long, Delphling. Hurry! At last the crystal calls. It is time, time to return to the castle. The crystal calls! To the crystal chamber! So that's all the time that we have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Twitter at darkcrystalpod. We're also on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. Um, If you enjoyed the show and think that others will love it too, uh, please write a review on iTunes or on Facebook as well. Um, I'll greatly appreciate that. And if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, hit the like button and subscribe. Thank you all so much and come back next time for more Trial by Stone.